I get the joy and privilege of this morning of being able to make sense out of all of that. What a great responsibility and honor it is to be able uh, to do so. We've got a lot of stuff to cover uh, this morning. In fact, uh, typically on Sunday mornings, Canaan at some point or another will whisper to me and ask, Dad, how many, how many verses are you doing today? And I said, well, I'm doing a lot of verses today, but I'll do them as fast as I, as I can. To which his response was, if you just talk about the verse without yelling at the people, you'll do a lot faster. So, we'll see how that goes today, buddy. I don't know. Love the, the journey that we've been on. Technically, uh, today's message is the, the last message from, that we'll talk about from the preacher. You see, there's a thing that happens in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1, verse number 1, we're introduced to the preacher. And uh, throughout the text, we're talking about the, the wisdom that the, the preacher has discovered and the things that he has done, and he has shared those with us. And uh, I refer to him as the preacher. The New American Standard Bible refers to him as the preacher. Some of your translations will say uh, the word uh, kahala. Um, Ecclesiastes in and of itself, uh, from this word, we get the root from that uh, ecclesia. This is the body, the symbol together. And so Ecclesiastes technically is the one who speaks to the gathered believers, the preacher. And so this morning ends the last of what the preacher had to say. Uh, because next week, as we come to the final conclusion to the entire uh, book, we're going to be listening to the voice of the narrator. Uh, so this morning, it's the final words, and he ends it in the same way that he began it in chapter 1, verse number 2, with that phrase, vanity of vanities. Uh, that phrase is in the superlative form. And when we say the holy of holies, uh, we're talking about the, the holiest of places. When we say uh, the song of songs, that is the greatest of all songs. And so vanity of vanities is the greatest uh, expression of meaningless that the preacher can utter. So what I've appreciated most about this journey that we've been on for these many, many months is that there's something for all of us in these texts. The Ecclesiastes has wisdom and insight that is helpful for those that are old, for those that are young, and for everyone in between. Ecclesiastes can help each and every one of us if we're truly willing to open our ears to listen and engage our hearts to respond to what the preacher has to say. And so throughout the book, the preacher teaches us to accept life as a gift and to learn to enjoy that gift that God has generously and graciously shared with us. So life is a gift, it's a blessing, and we should learn to, to live it to its fullest. And so this isn't the first time you said it. A few highlights. If you go back to chapter 2 and verse number 24, there he says, there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. Then in chapter 3, 
In verse number 12, he says, I know that there is nothing better for them to, than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is a gift of God. Chapter 5, verse 18, he says, Here is what I've seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life, which God has given him. For this is his reward. Then a few more. Chapter 8, verse number 15. He says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. Chapter 9. He says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness. I just read the wrong verse. Chapter 8, verse 15 was, Go, I commend, uh, so I commended pleasure. For there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. Then in chapter 9, verse 7, he says, Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. And so we come uh, to the conclusion. And uh, last week we, we looked at the first application in this concluding remarks. And last week's main takeaway was to live by faith. Right Today, the second application is to simply enjoy life. Enjoy it. Our text this morning, the preacher is going to show us how we can enjoy life. And he, he tells us by giving us three commands. Those commands are to, to rejoice, to remove, and to remember. And so we'll look at all three of those commands this morning. And so uh, we start with the first one, to rejoice. And so picking up in verse number 7, he says, The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. And so what he's saying is what a joy it is to anticipate each new day and to accept each new day as a fresh gift from God. Therefore, what a joy it is to live for many days many years. Not only because we have more opportunities to enjoy the goodness of life, but also because we have more time to serve the Lord in the sowing and in the reaping. That's what he covered in the first six verses of this chapter. And so the right way to respond to the blessing of life, the right way to respond to the blessing of a new day is Rejoice. Be joyful. Praise God for the goodness of life. Praise Him for every sweet thing that you taste and every bright thing that you see. Look at verse number 8. It says, Indeed, if a man shall live many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything 
that is to come will be futility. So if we live for many years, he says, the days of darkness will be many. So ultimately what he's trying to say is that we will also taste the bitter things in life. We'll get the bitter with the sweet. Which means sooner or later, there will be times of loss. We'll experience disappointment. We'll have injustices. We'll go through seasons of grief. I mean, this is one of the strengths of this book. The preacher gives us a realistic view of life. He refuses to show us anything less than the reality of living this life under the sun. Which means living this life in the midst of a fallen world. So he tells us, quite honestly and quite openly, that there will be times, there will be many days that will be dark. And he's not trying to be cynical. He's not trying to rob us of our joy. Instead, he's telling us to enjoy life as much as we can, for as long as we can, regardless of the circumstance in which you find yourself. So don't take life for granted. Don't complain about life. Rather, we should greet each new day the way the psalmist tells us to in Psalm 118, verse number 24. There it says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us, what? Rejoice! Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Is anybody happy for a new day today? Any of you get joy that God's blessed you with another day? Oh, here's the challenge. Oh, we're going. We'll go there. In two sentences or less. Why? Why? Why are you happy for this day? It says, let us rejoice in this day. So, so this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You said you're glad in it. Why? Somebody stand and share two sentences or less. Somebody stand and share two sentences. Because the Holy Spirit's here to guide you. You're not alone. Because you're here. You're drawing breath. Who else? Come on. You didn't know you were going to say anything in church to say, Johnny? Oh, man. Hallelujah. One day closer to seeing our Savior. Here with a beautiful family. Amen. Yes, Kathy. Very nice. Thank you. Every new day. Yeah, what you got? Because God is good. Gary, I see you in the back. Amen. I'm going to yell now. What this book has taught me is that, that realization that we have no control over the things that happen in this world. Realizing that we have no control over these things. We're to go to our Savior. Trust in Him. Give it all to Him. And when we do that, there's a peace that we experience in life. Oh, we are to rejoice and be glad in every day that the Lord blesses us with. And that call to rejoice is a call uh, for the young and for the old. 
You see, uh, when, when elderly people are called to praise God for the day that they have, they're called to praise Him for the length of their days. As for the young, they're to praise God for the strength of their youth. What a wonderful thing. Verse 9 says, right, so we get to the rejoice, rejoice young man during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. And there are a long and a lot of reasons why young people ought to rejoice in their youth. Typically, the young have fewer cares and burdens that come along with having all of these adult responsibilities. Typically, their, their bodies are strong and getting stronger. Typically, their hearts are, are filled with, with good cheer and their easy laughter comes forth from them. Typically, the young, man, their future is filled with endless possibilities, right? They have the freedom in life right now to, to take some risk. They have time to, to go in a, in a new or different direction in life. And do you see what the preacher is trying to say? He's saying that young people have limited time and opportunities to enjoy many things. Therefore, make the most of your youth. Thank you for honest, deep. I'm not looking at anybody specifically. Deep within the aged bodies of many people lies the spirit of a young person. That spirit is trapped and imprisoned by the limitations of age. They often long to do the things that they used to do, but no longer can. Or even worse, they they long to do the things that they always wanted to do, but never did, and now never will. Young person, if there is a desire laying deep within you to do something, do it. As the great theologian Rocky Balboa would say, go for it. This is what he's saying. See, see, there are times when we place limitations and restrictions on life that God has never placed. Scripture tells us, 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verse number 17, that God richly provides all things for us to enjoy. Therefore, engage and enjoy life as much as you can with all the strength and ability that you have in order to do so. However, listen carefully. We must always remember that we are called to pursue holiness over happiness. The preacher says, Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Therefore, before you engage in those things that promise happiness, before you act upon those things that appear enjoyable, before you follow the desires of your heart and your eyes, Remember that God will judge you for your behavior. And this solemn reminder should bring a balance in our lives. So we rejoice. 
We rejoice responsibly. We enjoy life's pleasures responsibly, not in a sinful way. We rejoice in Him as we seek to glorify Him in all that we do and all that we say. And so the first command is to rejoice. Secondly, He tells us to remove. Look at verse 10. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Life is limited. So do not let the the carries and the worries of this world rob you of the enjoyment of life that God intends for you to have. The reason for anxiety or a reason for worry will always be present. Don't be fixated upon them. Put your eyes upon the Savior. Seek to walk in faithfulness unto Him. And as we do that, we are to actively remove the grief and the anger that's in our hearts. And before you start to think, oh, pastor, that's easy to say and hard to do. Let me remind you that the Apostle Paul tells us precisely how this is done. I don't have it on the screen today, but I'd write it down so you can go back to it later. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, the biblical way to remove worry, the biblical way of eliminating grief, anger, annoyance, frustration. No, the biblical way to do all of that, to remove all of that, is to cast your cares upon God. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you, or that He may lift you up at the proper time. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all of your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Notice that this verse does not promise that God will fix our problems or remove the anxieties or the worries or the difficulties in our lives. No, instead, assurance is in knowing that He cares for us. Because we know that He cares for us, then we can cast all of our cares on Him and we can know that He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He will handle it in the best way for His glory and for our good. And so, if by chance the the words of the Apostle Paul aren't convincing enough for you, then why don't we go to the words of Jesus? Jesus Himself says in Matthew Chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus calls and commands us to come to Him to bring our worries, to bring our burdens, 
and bring them all to him. And when we do, the promise is not that he'll remove them, not that he'll correct them. The promise is we'll find rest for our souls. So while the burdens may still exist, our souls find rest because we trust in him, we rely upon him, that he would direct and sustain us in the midst of that hardship. So we see the preacher's instruction is a call to rejoice in the blessings of life. He tells us to remove the grief and anger from our hearts. And then thirdly and finally, he asks us to remember. Getting now into chapter 12. Verse number one, he says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. To understand that to remember our Creator is more than just bringing Him to mind. It's a call for reverence and obedience. To remember God is to live our whole lives in faithful obedience to our Creator. It is to be mindful of our Heavenly Father in every circumstance and situation that we face. It means that we include Him in all of our plans. We praise Him in, for all of our blessings. and We, we pray to Him and through all of our troubles. And may you know that the best time in life to do this is when you're young enough to still give your whole life to God's service. And so to help prove this point, the preacher gives us one of the most unforgettable poems in the Scripture. This is a poem about the reality of mortality. It's a poem about growing old. Look at verse number 2. Verse 2 compares the trouble of old age to a gathering storm. It says, Before the sun and light, the moon and the stars are darkened, the cloud returns after the rain. Then from verses 3 to 5, he compares an elderly person to a house that is slowly crumbling with decay. Some of you might connect with this. Look what he says. Verse 3. And the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, I'll help you. And the day when a, a person's arms begin to tremble, and, and mighty men stoop, he's describing legs that are now bent with age. That's one of my favorites. And the grinding ones stand idle because they are few. Let's talk about her teeth. What few of them remain. Then he says, and those who look through windows grow dim. Those are eyes that have been dimmed by the loss of vision. According to verse 4, old people have trouble sleeping. It says, and the doors on the street are shut. That's the sound of the grinding mill is low. In other words, the ears that are deaf and hard of hearing. Then it says, and one will arise at the sound of the bird. It's waking up ever so early in the morning. And all the daughters of song will sing softly. He's describing our, the vocal cords that have 
now losing their strength. According to verse number 5, they, they're afraid. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Uh, I like the description, the almond tree blossoms. He's describing someone's hair that's turned white with age. That's the picture he's painting. It says that the grasshopper drags himself along and the caperberry is ineffective. Ultimately, the preacher is reminding us that we will not live here forever. Today, we are young and strong, and already we're getting older and weaker. Tomorrow, the, the mourners will carry our bodies out for burial. Last phrase, for man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the streets. And as for death, he describes it like a snapping of a silver cord or the shattering of a golden bowl. Verse 6, remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The, pr- the, pr- the pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. What else can we say about death except that to die is to return to dust. And it says in verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was. And the Spirit will return to God who gave it. And then, for the very last time, for the 38th occurrence in this whole book, the preacher says, Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. See, the section closes where the book began. It closes with emphasizing the emptiness that is found in a life without God. And so as we seek to live by faith, we are also called to rejoice responsibly and to enjoy the things of this world. We're to remove the anger and the grief that's in our hearts. We're to cast our cares upon uh, our Lord and to receive His peace. Not only that, we're to remember that life is limited. Therefore, be mindful of all that you do and all that you say. Next week, we come to a glorious conclusion to it all. We get the third and the final application that simply is to keep His commandments and fear God. Prayers that this journey through this book has been edifying unto you, encouraging. We don't know what we're going to face later today. You don't know what's going to happen in life tomorrow. But we do know that God is faithful and He is trustworthy. If we can take Him and bring unto Him all of our cares, all of our burdens, and leave them with Him. And we know that He will do with them what is best for His glory and for our good. In the midst of all of it, we pray. We pray. Speaking of prayer, let me end with yet another reminder and encouragement for all of you to join us on Wednesday night for a time of prayer. We gather every Wednesday night. We started last week as part of our Wednesday night opportunities 
children have something for them. Eve is doing a, an amazing Bible study with some of the women. Fantastic turnout for that. And then uh, I'm leading us through a time of prayer over in the other building. We call it the resource room. It's right there by where we eat in the courtyard. It's just a time of prayer. Last week we met for about an hour. Before you begin to think, I can't go and pray for an hour. It's not like that. And if you'll just show up, we'll walk with you. I'll show you. We, we pray through the scriptures. We'll go to a certain place in the Bible. We'll read through it. We'll mine out the truths in that. And then we'll use those scriptures as a reference point to shape our prayer time together. I loved last Wednesday night. I thought it was a great time. Very encouraging. And I just want to say, the strength of the church is going to be determined or in correlation to the strength of the prayers that the church has. The prayer life of the church will shape the course of the church. I want to invite you to come and be a part of that prayer gathering each and every Wednesday night from 6 until about 7 o'clock over in that place over there. But for today... I'm just going to close this with a word of prayer. Uh, Jeff and everybody's going to come up and uh, lead us through uh, a song of response. I'm here at the front to pray with you and to encourage you in any way. And so as we do that, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for this time together. And God, I am just uh, thankful for the journey that we've been on these seven months through this awesome, awesome book. And so, God, as we come to a conclusion next week, help us to have great anticipation for for what's to come. God, in our lives today and in this moment right here, right now, sins should be confessed, decisions should be made that honor and glorify you. God, I pray that we're not worried about what's happening around us, that we just worry about what's our response to your word today. So, Father, help us to properly respond to your word. Be glorified in our response. Help us, Father. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.